just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's Tuesday. It's runoff election day for the U.S. Senate in Georgia. We'll talk more about that in a minute or two. You know, I was in Georgia. Now I'm back in Minnesota. And I got to be honest, doing the podcast here in Minnesota is so much easier than it is in Georgia. Don't get me wrong. I love Georgia. I love our place down there, but it's still new. So not everything is set up properly in Georgia to do the podcast. I can do it. It's just more of a pain for me to do it down there than it is here. And uh, as I was thinking about that and whining in my own head about having to do it that way, I'm reminded of some of the shit I did when I was younger. And frankly, I got no business whining because I did some crazier shit in some worse conditions when I was young. I think I've told you one of my first jobs is working at a shitty little radio station in the middle of northern Arizona, right between Albuquerque and Flagstaff in the middle of fucking nowhere. The closest thing to it was the petrified forest, for God's sake. Anyway, I'm there. I moved down. I'm 19. I don't know what I'm doing. The town is largely Mormon and Navajo, so this white Lutheran kid from South Minneapolis didn't exactly fit in very well in this spot. They were all very nice to me, but it was my first job. And the very first day I got there, they had an assignment for me. Now, one of the reasons they hired me for this job was because I did play-by-play of sports, and they did sports coverage on this particular radio station. And when I got there, they said, hey, we got a play-by-play job for you today, so get ready. I'm thinking to myself, I haven't met any of the teams. I don't even know. This is the summer. I don't even know what season we're looking at. Nothing that I'd ever done before. And they said, oh, no, 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 it's not sports. I go, it's not sports. What the fuck could it be? So what they did is they had a parade through town. They brought a flatbed uh, truck, parked it on the street, put up a little desk and a microphone and some wires connecting us back to the radio station. And they said, you're going to do play-by-play of this parade. I said, you're telling me that I'm doing play-by-play of a parade. I'm in a town of 5,000 people. Anybody in this town is less than three blocks away from this parade. If they really wanted to see it, they just take a quick walk. Who's going to listen to it on the radio? Well, I went ahead and did it. And it wasn't that hard, really. You just explain what's going on in front of you. And surprisingly, not only did people listen to it live, they fucking recorded it and ran it later in the night so people who missed it could hear it then. I could not believe that. You know, that's not something that would be done in a major city. But in this town, it was a big deal. And then... In that same town, you got to understand this radio station was very small. It didn't have much in the way of equipment. It was essentially a cinder block building hooked to a fifth wheel trailer, an old fifth wheel trailer. That was the whole studio and offices and all the stuff. So it was really low budget. 
<laughs> and and one of the things they wanted me to do when I got there was some baseball. Now, I'd done football, hockey, some basketball, never did baseball. And baseball is much tougher to do because there isn't a much action going on. There's a lot of dead time in between. So you got a lot of space you got to fill. And they said, don't worry, we've got a guy to do color for you. And, and they did. He wasn't a radio guy. He worked in local government and liked being on the radio. So I had to sit there with him and, and kind of walk him through it because he really didn't know what he was doing. I mean, here's a guy 35 years old, and I'm trying to teach him how to do this. And I'm 19. I don't know shit. So anyways, we do the baseball game. Doesn't sound too crazy, but they don't have a press box. <laughs> and it's windy as fuck out. And it's causing all kinds of problems with the microphone. So what they do, <laughs> they set me up in, in the station car, which was a blue Chevette, like 1979 Chevette. They put me right at the fence on the third baseline and had me do the broadcast in the car. So you got no ambient sound, no crack of the bat, no screaming of the crowds. It's just the fucking car. <laughs> I thought, wow, man, I'm going into radio. This is going to be glamorous, and God knows it wasn't. I was also involved in production. I did a lot of the commercials, mainly because everybody that worked at that radio station didn't really have any experience in radio, including the guy who owned it, because he bought it cheap from a guy who had owned it for years, and he was all completely new to the radio business, so he didn't know what he was doing. None of them really had any skills of voicing anything because they'd never done that. So that kind of all fell to me, and I had to do the production. And I'd done production work, you know, putting together commercials and PSAs and all that kind of stuff. I'd done that, and I became pretty proficient at it, even at 19. But when they showed me the production room, <laughs> it was basically a closet, with all very old remote-type equipment, the type of equipment that you would use when you were out doing a game or something. But that was their production equipment. And I go, holy Christ, this is awful. But, you know, you have to do what you have to do. You're 19 years old. They're paying you like 600 bucks a month, so you got to work hard. And, uh, you know, I did for about a year and got the fuck out of there as soon as I could. So to whine about what little I have to go through down in Georgia seems kind of ridiculous now when I remember back into the old times when I was a young man getting into the broadcast business. And I think at that time, I wish I'd been smart enough to say, you know, maybe radio isn't the smart move. You're a smart enough guy. You can get a college education. You could probably do something that would actually make some money. But not me. <laughs> I don't want a real job. I want to be in fucking radio. So here I am, all these years later, sitting in my living room doing a podcast for you folks. <laughs> so if your kids ever say, I want to be in radio, tell them fucking no. Tell them no. That is a stupid idea. <laughs> That said, all these years later, I am happy to be doing what I'm doing now. I couldn't be happier. I spent a lot of years in radio, and I never really had a lot of fun with it. It wasn't really fun, but this is. So I'm appreciative to have this opportunity and have you folks listening. All right, let's get started. Uh, we've got some emails. 
I'm always happy to see the emails. This one comes from Fred. He's been on the show before. He's written emails before. He says, hey, Mike, hope your trip to Georgia was great, and it was. I especially like that you had to rub in how good the weather was. You know, I hate when people do that. Well, it's 75 degrees down there, but I guess I did mention that it was like 70 there and it's 26 here. Didn't mean to rub it in, but if you took it that way, too fucking bad. He goes on to say, I'm part of a local Democrats group, and we were tasked with calling potential voters in Georgia's runoff election. One of the groups I was asked to call were college-educated women between the ages of 25 and 40 who have a history of voting Republican. I thought to myself, this could be interesting, and yeah, I'd have to agree. Oh, and it was, he says. Out of 50 calls that answered, I would say 80% of the people were downright nasty. I'm not voting for no Democrat, or am I, or I'm a Christian woman, I can't vote for someone who kills babies. Oh, the irony. (laughs) One woman said that she would pray with me because how could I supposed a man like Raphael, or how could I support a man like Raphael Warnock? Well, I couldn't let that one go. I said, you do realize that Senator Warnock is a pastor. To which she said, yeah, but he's not a real pastor. We need a good Christian man like Herschel Walker. I don't think she appreciated when I busted out laughing. And I got to give you credit, Fred. I would have laughed my ass off, too. Although this group of calls was pretty deflating, I can say that most of the people, registered Democrats and independents I talked to on other occasions, were a pleasure to talk to. And many said they would vote for Senator Warnock no matter how long they had to wait in line. Hope you had a safe trip back to Blustery, Minnesota, and I'm looking forward to your future shows and listener shows as well. Best Fred. And you're absolutely right. It is blustery here. It was like 70 degrees down there. I think uh, Saturday it was 77. It was beautiful. Back here it's 26 degrees. We've got snow on the ground. You know, I bitch about the weather so much. I'm not going to do that again. But I can tell as I get older and my wife's time gets freer, I'm going to be spending a lot more time in Georgia. I mean, I love the place. It's a fantastic place. And the weather, I was looking to see what the coldest month was, and that is January in Georgia. And while it's certainly not tropical, the high, average high in January is 60. The average low is 40. And in Minnesota, if you got a high of 40, that's a freak of nature that time of year. Then in uh, February, it's up to 65 as a high, 70 in March. So <laughs> I'd much rather deal with the warmer temperatures. I guarantee you that. But I'm here. My grandkids are here. And as long as they're here, I'm going to be here a lot. So I'm going to have to find a way to deal with it. All right, the next one comes from Eric. He says, hi, Mike. I'm not the first person to say this, but to Donald Trump and his base that wants to terminate the Constitution, I say, be careful what you wish for. Does Donald not understand that without the Constitution to protect him, he loses his rights to due process, a speedy trial, a jury, and a presumption of innocence? To the Trump-humping Second Amendment supporters, if the Constitution goes, then their gun rights go, too. Excellent points. Uh, 
I've also been thinking about the Republican-controlled House and these investigations. I don't think these investigations are actually going to happen, or if they do, everything will be behind closed doors and we won't get any updates. I think they only announce these investigations because their base will point to the investigation as proof of wrongdoing, even when nothing comes of it. Thanks, Eric. Well, Eric, you're kind of a Debbie Downer, aren't you? <laughs> now, I think we'll hear a lot about these investigations. We've got another presentation, at least one more presentation from the January 6th committee. Um, the investigations are one thing. Once we have an indict, indictments, um, we will we will hear more about it because there will be trials and those will be essentially public. Now, I wanted to mention one other thing and something to consider. You remember talking, we were talking about the trial in the Manhattan District. It's the uh, fraud trial against the Trump Organization. Alan Weisselberg, the CFO, has already pled out and he is testifying against the Trump Organization. Well, that trial is essentially done. The closing arguments have been given and the jury is out to deliberate and come up with a verdict for that situation. It's almost certain that the Trump Organization will be convicted. Now, what they will do to them once they're convicted, I mean, it's a company, it's not an individual. But what they will do, we don't know. But it will be interesting to find out. What was most interesting in this was, you'll remember when Alvin Bragg took over the Manhattan District, um, Cyrus Vance and some other prosecutors had said they had enough evidence against Donald Trump to indict him. Then Alvin Bragg comes in and says, yeah, we're not going to uh, investigate or indict Donald Trump. Why? Who knows? Probably because he's gutless, he's a new DA, and he thinks being the first one to indict Donald Trump is going to make him look bad. Well, the problem he has now is in this court case against the Trump Organization, the prosecutors made it very specific that, yes, the Trump Organization was culpable, but it also proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that Donald Trump had his hands on it. So now Alvin Bragg looks a little stupid. <laughs> so what does Alvin Bragg do? He goes out and hires another attorney, a specialized attorney, to look into the Donald Trump situation. The one he said he wasn't going to bother one with. The one where he had two premier prosecutors working on it and had come up with the evidence. And they ended up resigning because of, of, of Alvin Bragg. Uh, not uh, wanting to prosecute Donald Trump. Now, the question is, why is Alan Bragg doing this? Is he doing this because now he looks stupid and he wants to cover his ass and nothing will come of it? Or has he thought better of his initial plan? And is he going to go ahead and indict and prosecute? I don't fucking know. But Alan Bragg's got some problems. He's an elected official. And he's looking bad in this whole situation for not going after Donald Trump, especially if somebody else indicts him first. He's going to look stupid as fuck. So we'll be interested to see what the Manhattan District does. Now, you'll remember I told you once all this stuff gets done with the prosecution of Alan Weisselberg 
and the Trump Organization and all that's going on and the evidence coming out down with Letitia James and the Attorney General. Alvin Bragg is going to have a lot of pressure to indict or at least investigate Donald Trump further. And that's where we are, and that's exactly what's happening. It's all about how he looks. He's like any other politician. If it's going to make him look bad, he won't do it. If it's going to make him look good, he will do it. So I suspect he's going to have to pursue this situation with Donald Trump because these other investigations are going to bear fruit. There are going to be indictments or a an, or an indictment, one indictment at least, and then he's going to look dumb. So I, I have a feeling that he's going to uh, do something, but we'll see. Next one comes from James. Hey, Mike, I know you'll be interested in this story. Condolences to you and your family on your loss, James. Well, thank you, James. Um, Yeah, the passing of my father is kind of a weird one. As I've said, I haven't talked to him in 20, 25 years. Not the greatest guy. I don't have a lot of contact. I didn't have a lot of contact with him. In fact, as we're kind of sorting out the final details of getting this taken care of. Because as much as I didn't have a relationship to him, my brother and I both feel like we have a responsibility to tie up the strings, do what's respectful, and do what's right, in spite of how we might have felt about our father. So that's what we're going to be doing this week. And I appreciate the uh, sympathy I'll be perfectly honest with you. I'm not emotional about this at all. Uh, Yeah, he is my father, but I'm a father and a grandfather now. Last thing I needed at this age was a daddy, especially a bad one. So I'm not too broken up about it. And and that might make you feel like I'm insensitive, but you had to have uh, known the circumstances and you don't want to hear about that shit. Anyway, James was uh, telling me about a story, and I'd seen this one, and I thought it was kind of interesting. It's just one of the many things that Donald Trump is involved in. Now, Donald Trump's business has attracted so much scrutiny during his time in office that it would be easy to conclude that all information about his foreign entanglements must be out by now. You would think we've heard everything, but that's that's not the case. Now, buried in all kinds of other information, recently they released financial paperwork, and it's kind of a surprising revelation. Donald Trump had a foreign creditor he failed to disclose while running for president in 2016 and after assuming office in 2017. Now, it's interesting who this is. You know, you always hear about um, Donald Trump talking about, well, Joe Biden's connected to China. Yeah, I think Donald Trump probably has more connection to China. But this one's interesting. The documents compiled by the Trump Organization and obtained by the New York Attorney General show a previously unreported liability of $19.8 million listed as LP. Daiwu. The debt system that the debt basically comes from an agreement Trump struck to share some of his licensing fees with Daiwu, a South Korean conglomerate that partnered with Trump on a project near the United Nations headquarters in New York City. 
Now, there's nothing illegal about that kind of deal. It is illegal not to disclose it, and he did not. Trump eliminated the debt five and a half months into his 10 years as president, so he paid it off, according to the documents. He seems to have acted with some urgency to wipe the liability off his balance sheet from 2011 to 2016. Documents show that the balance stayed static at 19.8. Paperwork capturing Trump's financial picture as of June 30th, 2017. Five months into his presidency appears to show that the balance had dropped to $4.3 million, $15.5 million less than it had been the year earlier. Trump got rid of the debt altogether shortly after that. Dai Wu was bought out of his position on July 5th, 2017. Documents say without specifying who exactly paid off the loan. So the loan was paid off. But did Donald Trump go into his own pocket and pay it off? Or did some other foreign country pay it off for him uh, for consideration while he was president? May sound crazy, but that's something you have to consider, given all we know about Donald Trump. Now, although the the debt appeared on the Trump Organization's internal paperwork, it did not show up on Trump's public financial disclosure reports, documents he was required to submit to the federal officials while running for president and after taking office. Trump's former chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, told the New York Times in 2016 that his boss disclosed all debt connected to companies in which Trump held a 100% stake on the documents. Clearly, that was not true. That should be no surprise to any of us. Now, there is, a, there is a possibility that Trump's omission may have been legal. Nonetheless, uh, although officials have to list personal loans on their financial disclosure, the law does not require them to include loans of their companies unless they are personally liable for the loans. Now, the Trump Organization documents do not specify whether the former president, who owned 100% of the entities responsible for the debt, personally guaranteed the liability, leaving it unclear whether he broke the law or merely took advantage of a loophole. Either could be true. But with Donald Trump's credit conditions, you have to believe that he personally guaranteed a lot of these loans. So, you know, it's one of those things that we may find out, we may not find out. All the other things that are going to come falling down on top of Donald Trump, um, this may be a minor issue. But this just shows that Donald Trump is a bit shady. This, again, is not news. Everybody knows he's shady as fuck. But how did he get $19.8 million to pay off this debt to the South Korean company? You know he doesn't like to pay his bills. You know he's not as flush with money as he would like us to believe. So where did he get that money? That might be the, the, the hitch in the whole deal. If they somehow find out that he got it from some other foreign entity to pay it off. I mean, clearly, once he was president, he felt some urgency to pay it off. And that would suggest that he's feeling guilty about something or thinks he will get in trouble for something he did there. So he wanted to get that off the books as quickly as he could. Uh, 
Of course, after that, he did whatever the fuck he wanted, so I don't even know why he was urgent with that particular debt. Um, <laughs> Donnie just, uh, Donnie's, you know, I'd hate to be Donald Trump. There was a period of time in my life, you know, when you had a house and you got kids and they're going to school and you have a wife and you're buying a bunch of stuff. It was a very chaotic time in my life. And I think most people go through it to a certain extent, some worse than others. But you got all these bills, you got limited income, you got all these places you got to go and be, and you can't be in all places. You can't do all the things you have to do because there's just no time. So you spend your time juggling and covering one thing before you cover the other, and you go back and forth, pay Peter, or steal from Peter to, to pay Paul, you know, that kind of thing. You know, for a period of time, I had to do that because it was just kind of overwhelming. And I hated that feeling where I was kind of out of control, you know. I was just kind of balancing fucking dishes at that point, hoping they wouldn't fall. And fortunately, I got through it, and uh, fortunately, everything turned out all right. But this has got to be a big problem for Donald Trump. Not only the financial aspect of it, but now all of these investigations. He's got lawsuits. He's got criminal investigations. He's got two or three grand juries investigating him. He's got the January 6th committee investigating him. And it's not just for minor stuff he can shove aside. We're talking about the possibility of espionage. We're talking about the possibility of insurrection. We're talking about the possibility of defrauding the IRS, insurance companies, and banks, not to mention the individuals and all the, all the scandals that might come out with uh, these alleged rapes and all these things. That's got to weigh heavy on a guy's mind. You've got to try to balance all this stuff. You've got to try to pay for lawyers to handle all these things. And you have different sets of lawyers for different problems. And he's got nothing but problems. I think he thought that saying he was going to run for the presidency would be taking some of the heat off. But uh, that's not the case. It may be added wood to the fire. Now that he's looking at running for the presidency, now these people doing investigations are going to have to ramp it up a little bit. They feel some urgency now to go after Donald Trump, and they will go after Donald Trump. They are going after Donald Trump. You know, again, I've, I've said this before. So many people say, oh, nothing's going to happen to Donald Trump. Well, a lot of shit has already happened. We're waiting for a verdict on whether his company, his entire company, will be convicted of fraud. So plenty has happened to him. He's not having the luck he once had. He's trying to griff money, trying to raise money, and he had a lot of good luck with that. But that's starting to run out. The people that, uh, um, that supported him have limited funds. They can't keep funding him forever. And um, there's fewer and fewer of them willing to hand over money. So now Donald Trump is going to have a cash flow problem. And uh, that's not going to go well for Donald Trump. If Letitia James and the Attorney General's office finds out or they find uh, him guilty of fraud on a civil level, it's going to cost him hundreds of millions of dollars. 
And if he doesn't have the cash on hand, that means he's going to start losing assets, properties, buildings, and that sort of thing. It's kind of like the same situation with Alex Jones. He's lost cases to the tune of $1.6 billion or something like that to the Sandy Hook parents, and there's still more to come. People will say, well, he doesn't have that money, kind of money. He can't pay for that. No, that's true. And that's not unusual to get a judgment like this for somebody who can't pay that much. But what it does mean, it's they're going to suck up everything he has for eternity. They're going to keep taking his money. This guy will never, ever be able to get ahead. And that's pretty much the same with Donald Trump. He will be buried in financial problems. The idea that he would even be able to have time to think about running for president is absolutely crazy. I can't imagine that fucking happening. So I'm not even worried about that. Donald Trump has a world of problems right now. And now, as I said earlier, even the Manhattan District is looking at the possibility of investigating him concerning the fraud charges. And that doesn't even consider the Manhattan District looking into the Stormy Daniels situation. It's like every day there's something new and every day it gets worse and every day it's one more ball he's got to juggle. It can't continue like that. Eventually he's going to drop a ball or all the balls and shit is going to go crazy. We're already hearing him say things that are outrageous and stupid and causing him more problems. We're talking about, of course, the idea of terminating the Constitution. And we're going to talk about that right after the break because it's interesting how he's handling that. It's really showing that he is uh, he is frantic at this point about what happened there. You know, and I've always said, all you have to do is let Donald Trump talk and he'll bury himself. And he may have just done that by saying, let's terminate the Constitution, because even Republicans are stepping away from him. Even Republicans are saying, what the fuck is he talking about? It's interesting because he put some things out on Truth Social that are a little contradictory. And again, we'll get to that right after the break. But Donald Trump, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give a penny to be in Donald Trump's position. He can't help but lose in this situation. And if you really believe that nothing's going to happen to Donald Trump, you aren't paying attention. You got to look at what's going on and how it's all working and how everything is starting to fall into place. And Donald Trump is going to be underneath all those things that fall in place. Trust me, it's coming. They're not going to go through this whole situation and not come out of it with something. That would be crazy. That would hurt them personally. They're just not going to do it. All right, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. We all have heard about this thing that Elon Musk is involved in. I guess they're calling it Twitter Gate. He's releasing a bunch of emails showing that people tried to suppress uh, Twitter from putting out information about Hunter Biden's laptop. And they're all up in arms about it. They say it proves that that's against the First Amendment, which isn't true. The First Amendment has nothing to do with a private company. It has to do with the government. You have the First Amendment right against the government. They can't stop you, but private companies can do whatever the fuck they want. Now, they're all upset 
they claim that Joe Biden reached out to Twitter and says, hey, you got to not put this out there because obviously it would hurt his campaign uh, and, and, and he doesn't want that. But but secondly, it's a bullshit story. The FBI has had Hunter Biden's laptop for three or four years and nothing's come out of it. They're doing just what Donald Trump does. He takes these little pieces of information and expands on them and exaggerates them and tries to turn them into a thing. Now, he's not had much luck with that, and that's what he's trying to do with the Hunter Biden laptop thing. Now, when it came out, everybody was kind of yawning about it. It really wasn't a big deal. It wasn't anything that anybody didn't already know. So, even the Republicans were saying, yeah, that's kind of under underwhelming. That's not a big deal. But again, Donald Trump sees an opening. He sees an opportunity, and he wants to seize that opportunity, grab it by both hands, and ride it for all it's got in order to try to push forward his agenda about a fake election or fraudulent election. And there's really nothing to it. You know, some people are claiming, well, Joe Biden even sent a note to Twitter that they better not do this. And they're all up in arms about this because how dare could Joe Biden, vice president of the United States, do that? Well, here's the deal. This all happened during the Trump organ, Trump administration, okay? So at that point, Joe Biden was little more than a private citizen. And private citizens are perfectly legal in making a plea to a private or a a public company about anything. So Joe Biden, if he in fact did make a contact with Twitter, and I don't think they have any proof of that anyway, uh, it's not illegal. It's not a big deal. It's certainly not against anybody's First Amendment rights because um, you don't have a First Amendment right against private companies or even public companies. You just don't. It's about the government. And if that's what you think was going on there, then maybe you better read the Constitution. Or maybe you don't read the Constitution. Because Donald Trump saw this as an opening, so he thought he'd grab onto it and make a run with it. And on his shitty little social media platform, Truth Social, he posted this once that information came out. Again, he's, he's realizing this is an opportunity to support his agenda. And this is what he writes. Do you throw the presidential election results of 2020 out and declare the rightful winner? Or do you have a new election? A massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. Yes, Donald Trump wrote that himself with his tiny little fucking hands. He wrote that himself. Now, that really kind of blew up in his face. Everybody was going, what the fuck are you saying? Even Republicans are going, yeah, that's a bridge too far. We can't stand with that. And they start admonishing him or criticizing him or stepping away from him. So Donald Trump sees this, and what does he do? 
Two days later, he goes back on Truth Social and says, The fake news is actually trying to convince the American people that I said I wanted to terminate the Constitution. This is simply more disinformation and lies. Well, wait a minute, Donnie. We have your previous post saying exactly that terminating all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. I don't know how much clearer you could fucking be. But this is what Donald Trump does. He tries to gaslight. Uh, Don't believe what I said. Don't believe what you see. It's what I'm saying now is true. And it's so ridiculous. I, I, I can't believe anybody gets behind it. Now, there's a lot of Republicans denouncing his initial statement. But there's a lot that are just simply silent. Make no mistake, he knows he fucked up. And now he's flailing and grasping at anything, no matter how ridiculous. See, he goes by the concept that, well, I'll just keep saying something and people will believe it. Well, he's starting to sound like the boy who cried wolf. He keeps yelling about stuff making accusations, none of them ever come true. None of the evidence ever comes forth. So what you're seeing now is Donald Trump in desperate straits. He doesn't really know what to do. All his life he's been able to get his way. And he's done it by one of two ways, people bailing him out like Daddy or the Russians or just bullying people until they give up and say, fuck it, I don't even want to deal with it. So he wins by default. Donald Trump has been doing that his entire life. But he's got a problem. He's up against greater odds. He's up against people that can compete with him, like the U.S. government. You know, you get a small construction company, you owe them some money and say, we're not going to pay you. Then you take them to court. And by the time they get through court, the little construction company has already paid more in legal fees than what Donald Trump owed him. So it doesn't make any sense, and uh, they just give up. See, Donald Trump still thinks he can use that ploy now in this situation, but he he can't because, well, he's having to do this with the uh, U.S. government, and the U.S. government, for all intents and purposes, has deeper pockets than Donald Trump. So Donald Trump cannot win. His strategies are not working. And now he's confused. He doesn't know what he's going to do. So he's just doing everything. He's flailing. He's throwing shit against the wall, hoping against hope something will stick. And it isn't. And it won't. And Donald Trump is in some serious trouble. He did talk about terminating the Constitution and even his own people are thinking that's a bridge too far, and he doesn't know what to do. I mean, a large part of Donald Trump's success is he gets people around him, either by virtue of money or power or whatever it is, they want to help Donald Trump. He gets things done by getting other people to do the work. Now, fewer people are willing to work for Donald Trump now because Donald Trump is a shit show. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows the end is not going to be good for Donald Trump. So he's got fewer people helping him. And he, as I say, is backed into a corner with no place to go. And he is flailing like a fucking nutcase. And it's just going to get worse until he finally gets indicted and they shut him up. 
All right, as I told you, I just came back from Georgia. We got the uh, runoff election happening today. I'll just tell you up front, while I was in Georgia, I did what I could to steal a bunch of Herschel Walker's votes, stuffed them in my bags, and brought them home to Minnesota. Nah, I didn't really do that. I mean, I would have, <laughs> but I didn't do that. I mean, nobody can do that. That's fucking ridiculous. But the Republicans would make you believe they can. But right now, the Democrats are feeling kind of optimistic about winning today in the runoff. Raphael Warnock versus Herschel Walker. And this win in Georgia would be a big win for the Democrats because it would give them 51 seats in the U.S. Senate. Now, there's a big difference between 50 seats with uh, Kamala Harris being the tiebreaker and having 51 seats. Because with a 50-50 split, they kind of share and have equal numbers of people on the committees and all that sort of thing. So it makes it tougher for the Democrats to get anything done if half of every committee says no. So having this extra one, this extra Democrat, assuming Raphael Warnock wins, will be a big help. Now in these committees, the um, Democrats would have more on the committee than the Republicans, making everything a lot easier. Now there's a number of reasons why Democrats have high hopes, and I have some reasons too. We'll talk about those. The party thinks it has a top candidate in Warnock, and he, he is. He's a reverend who serves as senior pastor at Atlanta's uh, Ebenezer Baptist Church. This is the former pulpit of Martin Luther King, Jr. Warnock won a runoff in 2021 and he received more votes than Walker on Election Day. Walker, endorsed by former President Donald Trump, has been battered by controversies throughout the campaign, and his links to Trump may be hurting him more than they are helping him in the contest. Now, while Democrats expect the final tally will be close, many in and outside Georgia say the early voting numbers and momentum from November also are highly positive signs for Warnock and his party. And I've said this, I kind of put myself out on the limb on TikTok. I don't think it's going to be as close as the general election. And there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, first of all, they had a record amount of turnout in the early voting. And why this is interesting, um, in 2020, when Warnock ran in a runoff election to get his Senate seat, they broke a lot of records, too, as far as early voting. And it obviously worked to his advantage. But the interesting thing here is in the 2020 runoff election, early voting had 17 days to do that. In this election, it's been five days. This is the Republicans' attempt to suppress votes. But even still, they're getting record numbers even in a shorter period of time. So that's got to be an advantage to Warnock, not to mention the fact that anytime you get uh, a lot of voters, a great turnout, that generally means that it's going to be positive for the Democrats. It was in 2020, it was in 2022, and now in this runoff election, it's not surprising that uh, 
that it would be beneficial to Warnock. Now, the other thing that I find interesting, and I, I don't understand why they did this. I mean, it's, it's kind of along the same lines with overturning Roe v. Wade before the midterms. That makes no sense. That's stupid. That can only work against you. They can't be that dumb and that fucking arrogant, but maybe they are. About a week or 10 days ago, the Supreme Court came down with a decision in Georgia to ban any abortions after six weeks. Now, most women don't know they're even pregnant at six weeks. So for all intents and purposes, the state of Georgia has banned all abortions. And that's a problem for Republicans. We know this from the midterms. The overturning of Roe v. Wade was one of the biggest aspects and the biggest problem areas for the Republicans. So now in Georgia, just before the runoff election, the Supreme Court comes out and says, we're banning abortions. Now, if you look at the numbers of people who came out and voted, there was an inordinate amount of women coming out to vote. That can suggest it's a response to this outlawing abortion in Georgia. And if that's the case, that's going to cause Herschel Walker a lot of trouble. We've got a lot of young people that have come out and vote early votes in Georgia. Once again, that is a positive sign for the Democrats. A lot of people of color, an inordinate amount of people of color, come out and voted early. And remember, the people of color that voted in 2020 helped Raphael Warnock get to the runoff uh, that year. And there was one other bit of information that I found interesting. And I don't know how to read it exactly. I presume it's from people who are concerned about something and stepped up and voted. There is like 77,000 votes that voted early in this runoff election, who did not vote in the general election. Well, how could that be? Well, a lot of people just blow off voting. They don't think they have any uh, say in the matter, and they say, fuck it, I'm not going to do it. So it sounds like we maybe had 77,000 of those people who were thinking that very thing come the general election back in November. But now, for whatever reason, they seem inspired to get out and vote, even though they didn't vote in the general election. That would suggest to me they're concerned, maybe even scared. And if that's the case, well, it's likely they are concerned and scared of the Republican Party, which would then, of course, uh, help help, uh, um, Raphael Warnock. A survey by Emerson College and The Hill late last week found Warnock with a two-point lead. Among those surveyed who already voted, Warnock had a 29-point advantage. Now, you know what I've always said about polls. Polls don't mean shit. They don't, they, they, they aren't usually accurate. And the midterms is a good illustration of that. So looking at where most of the early voting is happening, the analysis from this uh, pollster at Emerson College says, by my analysis and what I've read looks really promising, added Van Hollen, who is the analyst, 
who chaired the Senate Democratic campaign arm for 2018. Warnock won a victory in a Senate runoff election against Senator Kelly Leffler back in 2021. You remember Kelly Leffler? She was a big Trump humper. And, of course, the same day John Ossoff won his runoff, that gave Democrats the Senate majority in a 50-50 chamber. A victory this year, as I said, would give the Democrats a little bit more wiggle room. Now, Democrats note that in the 2021 runoffs, Ossoff and Warnock both had more time to campaign. I don't think he's taken anything for granted, one Democratic operative with ties to the state set of Warnock. You have to operate like you're always down. There's no other posture. And I think that makes sense. You know, when people think they're winning, they tend to lay back and rest on their laurels. I don't think Warnock is doing that. From what I could tell while I was down in uh, Georgia and what I see on TV, they're pushing it. They're pushing it hard. In the four weeks since the midterm elections, Warnock's campaign has fine-tuned its crown game, media and advertising apparatuses. A source close to the campaign campaign said they made contact with millions of additional voters through a door-to-door canvassing effort. So they're out there working. They're out there working. Warnock has barnstormed barnstormed counties around Atlanta and worked to chip away at rural areas held by the GOP. Those rural areas will be the problem areas. He also stumped heavily during the fall holiday season, an investment that his campaign argues stands in contrast to Walker, who has been less visible on the trail in recent weeks. The Democratic strategist familiar with the Georgia politics said Warnock's success with extra day of early voting on the Saturday after Thanksgiving brought more than 70,000 voters to the polls. So I just honestly believe that Warnock should win. I think it will be a little more decisive than what we saw at the uh, general election where he won by 30,000 votes. I think he's going to win by more votes. I could be wrong. But, you know, like I said with the midterms, all I do is look at the facts. And um, there is nothing that looks like it's going to benefit uh, Herschel Walker. All of it's going to benefit um, Raphael Warnock. So I I, I just don't see Herschel Walker winning. And when he doesn't win, I hope he just goes away never to be seen again. That would be best for all of us. All right, the next story, this one I kind of find interesting, and I had a sense about this guy when he first came out. A lot of people liked him because he was talking against Donald Trump, but he's a lawyer, and he happens to be one of those um, unethical lawyers, criminal lawyers. And I don't mean he represented criminals I mean, he is a criminal and a lawyer. Now, this lawyer, you'll know the name because you saw him on TV all all over the place early on in Trump's administration. Incarcerated lawyer Michael Avenatti was sentenced in Southern California on Monday to 14 years in prison in order to pay $7 million in restitution after admitting he cheated four of his clients out of millions. 
The sentence should run consecutively to the five-year prison term he is currently serving for separate convictions in New York. U.S. District Judge James V. Selna said this during a hearing in Santa Ana, California. Now, Avenatti pleaded guilty earlier this year to four counts of wire fraud and tax-related charges without reaching a plea deal with federal prosecutors, saying he wanted to be accountable and spare his family further embarrassment. He was accused of negotiating and collecting settlement payments on behalf of his clients and instead of funneling the money to the accounts he controlled. Before sentencing, Avenatti apologized to the four victims in the case, three of whom were in the courtroom. Now, this Michael Avenatti, he's a slick talker. And when he was handling the Stormy Daniels situation um, when she was going after Donald Trump, uh, a lot of people love this guy because he talks shit about Donald Trump. They said, that's what we need. We need a fighter. We need somebody like this. But it's not unusual that we later find out that he's a fucking crook. Avenatti said, I'm deeply remorseful and contrite. There is no doubt that all of them deserve much better, and I hope that someday they will accept my apologies and find it in their hearts to forgive me. Prosecutor Brett Sagel told the court that Avenatti's criminal conduct arose from calculated choices and egregious violations of the trust his clients placed in him. Now, he didn't turn to his criminal actions by desperation, by need, by the inability to do anything else, Sagal said. Despite the significant advantage that this defendant had at first-rate education, a thriving legal career, he chose to commit the deplorable acts against his clients time and time again. So Michael Avenatti will probably be in jail for some time. 14 years he was convicted of, and prior to that, he had one for five years. So if it's going to run consecutively, it will be he'll run the five years out, and then he'll start over for another 14 years. We're talking about 19 years. Now, he's not an older guy, so he'll get out and still have some time. But if you worked as hard as lawyers do to get their position, to have it all taken away, having all your money taken away, and the prospect of doing jail time, that's got to be troubling for somebody like him. Let's talk a little bit about the Supreme Court. These fucks. God damn it. It's frustrating listening to these people because they're supposed to be un- unbiased. They're supposed to be above it all. But just the opposite is true. Uh, Justice Samuel Alito apparently decided to test out some new stand-up comedy material when the Supreme Court held oral arguments on Monday. Now, while the hearing, they're hearing the uh, case of the Christian graphic artist in Colorado who says designing wedding websites for gay couples is against her faith, Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson asked attorney Kristen Wagner whether, the fo- whether following her arguments a hypothetical photographer would be able to refuse taking photos of a white Santa with black children. Now, here's what you have to understand. This graphic artist doesn't have a business yet, hasn't done any business yet. This is all hypothetical. Why in the fucking world 
would the Supreme Court take a hypothetical case? And apparently Alito thought it was kind of funny. Wagner, who was representing the designer, responded that the photographer would be able to refuse taking the photos. Alito later tried to turn around Jackson's analogy analogy by asking whether a black Santa had to have his picture taken with a child dressed in a Ku Klux Klan robe. Come on, fuck your your, uh, justice on the Supreme Court, and you're really going to play that fucking game? Now, Colorado Solicitor General Eric Olson said no, adding that Ku Klux Klan outfits are not protected characteristics under the public accommodation laws. Justice Sonia Sotomayor then chimed in that presumably that would be the same Ku Klux Klan outfit regardless whether if it was a child was black or white or any other black characteristics. So Alito, seeing an opening, decides to be a jokester and says, Oh, you do see a lot of black children in Ku Klux Klan outfits all the time. Yeah, funny one, Alito. This is some serious shit. You're on a serious court, and all you can do is fuck around, tell jokes, bad jokes at that. I got to tell you, Alito and Clarence Thomas have to go. They just aren't worth it. They aren't serious about their jobs. They are partisan. They are hacks. And they have no business being in the position they're in. Now, Alito, who wrote the majority of the opinion in the case of Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization reversing the high court's half-century-old ruling in Roe v. Wade, decided he was on a roll and kept up with the yucks by suggesting Justice Elena Kagan was familiar with Ashley Madison, a dating site for people looking to have affairs. I mean, this is a Supreme Court justice. This piece of shit is making joke of a case coming to the Supreme Court. But but again, the interesting thing about this is this is somebody who is either going to be a graphic artist or is a graphic artist and hasn't started a business as yet. Some reason the Supreme Court decides to take that case and decide it and may decide it for the plaintiff and that would be fucking absolutely ridiculous. I, I, you know, I just don't understand what these people are getting out of this. Somebody like uh, Justice Alito says something like that. How does that benefit him? It doesn't. He just thinks he's funny and clever, and he thinks he can get away with it. But uh, I guarantee you, he will not. Well, we're down toward the end of the podcast, and let's wrap something up um, that I think is kind of funny. It's not really funny. It's just just desserts. Former Arizona candidate for governor Carrie Lake on Monday blasted what she called the sham certification of her election loss. What you have to understand is today, actually yesterday, uh, Arizona, the state of Arizona, certified the election. We know that Carrie Lake has been trying to create some disturbances, distractions, diversions, try to uh, steal the narrative, and it hasn't worked. The um, 
election has been certified. Carrie Lake has officially lost. So, Carrie, if you're listening, that means you're a fucking loser. And you're just going to keep losing. Maybe you better go back to TV. Or I got a shitty little radio station in northern Arizona you can go work at for a little money and and uh, no equipment. I'm sure they'd take you on because it is Arizona and you are the queen of Arizona, right? No, you're not. You lost the election and somebody else is going to be the governor of the state. And thank God for that. I can't imagine what kind of problems you would create by being the governor of the state of Arizona. Now, during an interview with conservative podcast host Steve Bannon, Lake noted that the certification of her election loss was just an hour away. She said the optics of them sitting there and signing their signature, can you imagine, to the sham election, she opined. We've got more issues than we saw in 2020 in that sham election. We have just blatant sabotaging of the election day. (laughs) They just keep wanting to throw that narrative out there. I lost, so it must be that they're cheating. Just because you lost doesn't mean anybody was cheating. It means you're a shitty candidate and nobody wants to fucking vote for you. Lake tied her election loss to information about the 2020 election that Twitter's Elon Musk shared recently. I don't even know how to describe it other than a festering cabal that's in charge of our government right now, Lake remarked. And this is our most, this is our moment to stand up and fight back. I lost, so some shit's got to go down. Shit's got to go down, and I'm not going to accept the fact that I lost. Well, I'll tell you this right now, Carrie. They certified the election. You have officially lost, and there's nothing you can fucking do about it. Just ask Donald Trump. He tried to do a lot of things, and it didn't work. And now Carrie Lake will not be governor of the state of Arizona, and that's a wonderful thing for those folks in Arizona. Um you got a lot of great people in Arizona. You want to keep them safe. The idea that um, that you would want to do otherwise is ridiculous. I'm going to do one more quick story only because it's so fucking ridiculous. Former Trump National Security Advisor John Bolton said he's prepared to run for president as a Republican to stop his former boss from tearing up the Constitution. On his social media platform Saturday, Trump called for a series of extreme measures to install himself as president, including termination of the country's constitution. So once again, an opportunist, John Bolton, who has a horrible reputation of being a fucking warmonger, he is not going to be elected to anything anytime soon. But John Bolton, I don't see him being an issue come 2024. The fact of the matter is, the more Republicans that are running, the more it will dilute it, and it will be harder for a Republican to get voted in. It just won't happen. So uh, they can try all they want. It's just not going to work. 
All right, we are wrapping up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you all for taking time out of your day to sit and listen. I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.